Hi, this is Jim Lebedo, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today, we have Ted Gulas, CEO and founder of the Gulas Group, a performance improvement company that specializes in the development of human capital by closing workflow skill gaps in individuals, teams, and organizations. Prior to founding the Gulas Group, Ted was the executive vice president of sales and marketing for a major international manufacturer where he was responsible for developing, hiring, and coaching over 80 manufacturer reps. As a speaker, Ted has shared his insights in traditional classroom settings, as well as given keynote speeches throughout his home state of Alabama. Ted is also a contributing writer for such publications as the Huntsville Business Sourcebook, the Birmingham Business Journal, and Alabama Technology Today. Ted has offered to share with us his insights on the Working Smart Method, a method that can transform the way you work. Ted, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. Okay, so Ted, transform the way you work. Pretty big promise, but I first have to ask you, what's wrong with the way you see most people working today? Oh, great question to start out with. When I go to the workplace, and I've been doing this for over 26 years now, focusing with priority program, people just seem to be totally overwhelmed. They've got too much to do, not enough time to get it done. They can work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 365 days a year and still have a lot of great things that they need to get accomplished undone. And that creates a little bit of chaos in the workplace. People tend to be more reactive than proactive because the tools that they're given when they come out of the box, so to speak, unwrap the software now, it's a reactive toolbox. And so people are just overwhelmed, tremendous amount of stress. And with the younger workforce, they like to be intrinsically motivated but we're not giving them an opportunity to master their day, their week, their month, their year, so they feel like they're out of control. Okay, a couple things. What I hear you saying is, so I go to work today, I sit there at my workstation, and I'm assuming you're talking about Outlook or Goldmine or any of the myriad of software that we use to keep ourselves somewhat organized and get our work done. All right, so you're saying that in the way it's designed makes us reactive? Right. When it comes right out of the box, it's designed to be reactive and not proactive. Have you ever seen software actually plan a day? In order to plan the day, you have to have the host, which is the employee, know how to plan. Well, if they know how to plan, that's great. But do they know how to plan inside Google Apps? Do they know how to plan on an iPad or anything of that nature? Or do they just pick up certain things that they heard someone else say they should do And as a result, they're copying some ineffective planning behaviors. Good point, Ted. And at the same time, I hear people complain that technology is the problem because it's constantly feeding information to them, whether that's through emails or text or alerts that pop up on their mobile devices that pull them off task. Good point. I think what you're describing is something that I just saw the other day when I was doing a keynote presentation about working smart. One of the gentlemen came up to me after the class and said, 
well, you know, I didn't even realize I could turn off my email alarms and all of the alarms for appointments within my system. So just the small tip of turning off your email alarms addresses what you just talked about, which is the push and pull, the start and stop throughout our day. You know, what happens is we're on an invisible assembly line as knowledge workers, and information becomes our raw material. And so we have to decide, do, and deliver that information to get great results. Well, if you're stopping and starting the production line every three or four minutes because an alarm went off, what kind of result are you going to get? So then people say to me, well, if I don't answer my emails, someone's going to get upset. And then when we ask who that someone is, it's typically someone internally to the organization, not externally to the organization. So we've become a slave to internal emails, and people are scared to death that if they don't respond quickly to an internal email, there's going to be negative repercussions. So there we go back to the word process. Most organizations don't have a best practice process for how to handle internal emails, just as an example. You mentioned this priority management program. What is the priority management program? Okay, great question in regards to there's hundreds of programs out there that are supposed to make you more effective. They all come under what we call the time management umbrella. Right. Well, priority has been doing this for over 35 years. They have a tagline that says, a better way to work, and the reason for that is because of all the research they've done into the workplace to find out how do you take the tools that are out there, marry those tools up with the right process, and then, and here's the key to the whole thing working, help change behaviors so that the new habits are formed, so now you see the correlation between the software and what you should do every day in order to be effective, doing the right things for the right reasons at the right time, as opposed to being efficient, which is the old term, busy, 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 hurry, 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 doing, 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 overwhelmed, overwhelmed, overwhelmed. So instead of being in that game, we're going to change it and say we're going to be in the effective game. Okay, Ted, I can buy into that. And at the same time, people come to a job knowing somewhat how to do that job. I mean, that's why you hire them. So they also bring with them their work habits, the things that they believe in is the best way of doing things. So how do companies get a handle on the fact that everyone shows up on the job believing that their way is the best way? What we have here is a term that I use called organizational consistency. Okay. You and I are very familiar with that when it comes to developing salespeople and sales teams. Yep. We develop a common language so that the sales team and the sales organizations know where they're at, where they're going. When they're running their pipeline, they have milestones. So everybody's communicating in the same language. Well, if you bring all these disparate people into an organization and each person believes that they should use IBM Notes or the Google Apps, GroupWise, or any of those programs, BlackBerry, iPads, the way that they think they should use it personally, but not the way that the organization should use it. Well, number one, you don't have a common language. And number two, you got everybody doing different things. So when one person decides they're going to delegate a task, the person that's receiving that delegated task, if they don't understand what a task request is, won't know how to respond. Yeah, because the assumption is that how I use my Outlook, how I use my iPhone, how I use my programs is individual to me. Yes, that's the assumption that people bring 
when they come into the organization. You know, planning is very personal. But is it really very personal when you get in an organizational setting? You could say the same thing for a salesperson. Well, the way I sell is very personal. Well, great. Then how do you run a pipeline that the organization sets up if you have your way of doing it and the organization has their way of doing it? So, Ted, when you go into a company and you explain this concept, do you get kind of a blank stare back? (laughs) Sometimes we do. (laughs) Typically what we get back, Jim, is a little bit different. Okay. What we normally get back is, well, goodness gracious, I've sent my people to an $89 or $49 course on how to use Outlook. Right. Essentially what they're telling me is they've sent people to what we call keystroke training. So I don't know if you've ever been to keystroke training, but if I describe it, you're probably familiar with it. You go into some big room with a whole lot of people, probably not your teammates. If so, maybe one or two. And they say, well, if you press this button, this is what's going to happen. And if you press this button, this is what's going to happen. The dilemma is there's no correlation back to what they do every day. So what they do every day in order for the behavior to change has to be tied into the process. So if a person does a lot of delegation and they just briefly cover, well, press this button and this button and you've delegated a task, but there's no sequence back to how do you follow that up? How do you make sure the person on the other end understands the process? All of that is the behavior part that is not addressed in keystroke training. Okay, so real world, give me an example of what a problem that a company was experiencing and how this priority management when you went in helped improve that problem. Okay, well, let's start with email. You know, I use a term called email bankruptcy because email is making people stupid. And when you go to their inbox, they could have anywhere from 200 to 5,000 emails in there. And so when they unwrapped their program, someone told them, here's what you do. Make folders up. And so when you get an email, if you don't want to read it or if you're going to follow up a little bit later, what you do is you drag that thing into a folder. And so now you've got these huge folders full of information. And every time you need to find information from a month ago or six months ago or a year ago, you have to do a search. Now, some people think that's pretty easy, but it's efficient, not effective. The way you should do it is decide, number one, that's one of the Ds that we use, what is this email going to do? Well, this is an email from Jim Smith, a key contact. Well, I want to take that email and drag and drop it into either a contact record or either a task. And then I want to date activate that task so that it comes up in a future date when I call that person back. And then I can forget about it until that time arises. Or if I've done it properly and put it into a contact record, if Jim Smith calls me before I call him, I go to Jim Smith's contact record, open it up, and I have a complete history of what he said and what I said over the last year or two. Okay. So it's really become systemic in the organization to think about, as you said, we have this assembly line, and as raw materials come in, we need a place to put it. Absolutely. And a place where we can rapidly retrieve it at a moment's notice without a lot of stress and aggravation. You know that people spend a minimum of 45 minutes a day just searching for things within an arm's length of their desk. Well, that's total time wasted that could be used more productively and effectively. Our guest is Ted Goulis from the Goulis Group. We're talking about increasing your productivity. 
In addition to Ted sharing his expertise on that, you can find other experts that have shared their wisdom with us here on BizTalk. Those are available as podcasts on our website and cover business topics in the areas of recruiting, leadership, marketing, performance management, sales and sales management, and, of course, personal development. You can download those podcasts from our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. Okay, Ted, I'm guessing here, but I'm pretty confident that email is probably the biggest culprit of creating inefficiency inside an organization. Would you agree? Yes, it is. It is a huge culprit of inefficiency, but it's not the only one. I was going to say, okay, so what are some of the other inefficiencies you see? Well, one of the things that really just gnaws on me a lot is the whole purpose of going in and helping organizations get more effective is talk about their planning process. And there's a lot of lip service talked about when it comes to planning, but most people don't do it very well. You know, start with the end and you work backwards, as they say. So just to give you a quick overview, you should have what we call a yearly plan for, say, your department or team, a quarterly plan that links back to the yearly plan, and then you build a monthly plan, and then you build a weekly plan and a daily plan. You know, it sounds like a whole lot of planning, but it can be done pretty quickly once you learn to change your behaviors and understand the process. The dilemma comes in is when I go to organizations and we talk about, okay, so here's your strategic plan. What are your key result areas for, say, employee number one? So employee number one gives me their key result areas. I go to that employer's boss and ask that boss what the key result areas are, and there's typically a mismatch. So number one, the planning process is off-center right there. So now when they go all the way back to their daily planning, it's not linked to their key result area. And that manifests itself in prioritizing your day incorrectly and majoring in the minors. So then what happens is someone comes up with a new idea, and because we don't know exactly where we're going, we end up putting the new idea on the plate, and now we've got all this new stuff coming in on top of stuff that was not correctly prioritized to begin with, and we're not getting any output. We're majoring in the minors, the quick, the easy, as opposed to the important and the high-value things that are linked to your goals and objectives. So it's almost like going to the chiropractor and getting aligned. <laughs> yes, it is. That's a good analogy. I'll have to use that. Uh, next time I go to my chiropractor, I say, you're aligning me up with my goals and objectives. But, you know, you know what, how difficult it is for someone to say no. And it becomes much more difficult after we go through this process to say no, to negotiate, because now you've got a clear future of what you want to get accomplished, and you can say to the person that's bringing you a new objective, or let's say a a boss says, I want you to go to a meeting, and I want you to be there in, in, say, a couple of hours. And you could say to the boss kindly and gently, well, here's what's on my plate. Here's what we prioritize. I've scheduled it out for the whole month. Do you want me to reschedule some of this time, or do you really need me to be at the meeting, or could I send one of my associates to pick up some of the information at the meeting, or can I be just at the meeting for long enough for me to present what you need me to present? So there's a lot of negotiation that can happen once you're clear about where your goals and objectives are. The other thing I see, Jim, is that those goals and objectives change within the month, but they're not communicated within the team. And so now you've got new goals and objectives on top of old goals and objectives. 
a team member comes back, finishes a project from, let's say, the old goals that were assigned at the beginning of the month that changed, and the boss looks at it and goes, oh, that's great, but what the boss really wanted was the new goals and objectives reprioritized, but that wasn't communicated properly. Right, so part of this is then making sure you have a clear communication channel. Absolutely. It's so important, as fast as we're moving in the workplace today, to have this clear communication of what it is you want to get accomplished because of the push and pull that happens throughout the month. All right, so just so we're on the same page, give me your definition of a key result. You said you go to the employee or you go to the employee's boss and you say the key result for this job is what? So give me your definition of key result. Okay, well, we'll start with customer service, which is an easy one. That could be the objective is to improve customer service. And so the key result area would be how we're going to do that. And so some of the things could be that we're going to track, we're going to use some metrics, and these metrics are going to be reviewed on a biweekly basis to make sure we're showing significant improvement. So that would be the key result area is how we're tracking or what we're tracking. So the goal this month is to track ABC and our customer service communications to make sure they're getting better, and that would be the goal. And then each day I would be charged with tracking that communication on a daily basis or reviewing that information on a weekly basis, preparing maybe an end-of-the-month report that we could look at. Does that help clarify that? Yeah, so key results then are objective, not subjective. Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And the goal is going to be not a routine goal. If we're going to improve the customer service, like we just talked about, the metrics, then that's non-routine. We haven't done that before. We're going to be doing it a little differently. We're going to try to improve it. So that's how that gets scheduled in. All right. So the goal is to improve customer service. And our key results, we're going to measure how we're getting that done. Right. So again, just so we're on the same page on our definitions here, objectives are what then? The objectives are driven down to the daily basis of what I'm going to do that day or it doesn't have to be that particular day but that week or that month to make sure that happens. So if this is a key result area, I should schedule on my calendar an amount of time with a start time and an end time as an appointment with myself to actually do the metrics or the objectives. So on my calendar, I've actually scheduled that appointment so that I've blocked out that time to make sure that happens. Yeah, I call it an appointment with myself. Absolutely. And what happens with appointments to yourself is that, unfortunately, this goes back to behaviors. We've developed habits that it's okay to break an appointment with ourselves as opposed to breaking an appointment, say, with you. All right? So it's easier to break the appointment with myself than you. So then what happens is our integrity to self goes down, 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 and down because we're not making those appointments with ourselves. Our self-esteem goes down because I'm not keeping up to my appointments with myself and we'll never outperform our self-esteem. We're in a downward spiral. You know, just listen to you, Ted. It's amazing that any of us get any work done. I'm depressed now. I can't go to work today, Ted. (laughs) I'm doing it all wrong. (laughs) Well, let me explain, Jim. This is an interesting observation. I know of some companies here in Alabama that are just enormously successful. I mean, they're making buku money. Their stock values go up. They're doing great. They're totally out of control. So, yes, they're getting work done. Yes, they're making money. Things are going great. Do you know what's wrong with the picture? 
everybody is stressed, overwhelmed, they're burnout. So on one hand, we're doing great. But when we look at the individuals within that organization, you know, they're scared, they're frustrated, they're fearful, they're fearful of their job, their bosses. I mean, there's just total chaos, but yet things are getting done and they look great on the surface. So eventually it becomes a house of cards. Eventually it does. Or you have a lot of turnover, right. uh, unhappy workers, you have disengagement. That's why those surveys show such high disengagement in the workforce. We don't have engaged workers. People have already quit. They just hadn't told you. They're looking for another job, a better opportunity. And, you know, we could get away with that with the older workforce. I say older workforce. You kind of know what I'm talking about with the millennials. They don't go for that, man. They, they, you know, they'll turn around and leave in a minute if they're not happy. So, Ted, the biggest misperception about party management is what? misperception, and this is going to sound kind of funny, is that, you know, we come under the umbrella of time management. So a lot of times people will say, I've been to a time management course, it either worked or didn't work, but we're more than just time management because you can't really manage an irreplaceable asset. That's been out there for years. People have talked about it. I like to say, look, what we're doing here is we're making you have the ability to make better choices in your workday using the tools that your organization has given you. Our guest is Ted Gulas. We're talking about increasing productivity in the workplace with this program, Priority Management. Ted, let's talk about a study that Priority Management has done on over 17,000 individuals and over 1,000 organizations on the programs they put in, and they have some findings. You want to share that with our audience? Yes, I'd be glad to. We're really excited about this because... When I got started with this program, partnering with Priority Management over 26 years ago, I wanted to make sure that we had lasting and sustained change and improvement. The most glaring thing that came out of it is that with all of this reporting back after the workshops, individuals on IBM Notes, GroupWise, Blackberries, Outlooks, they got 61 minutes per day per person in new productive time. You know, you could say that they got more time, but that doesn't really help you if it's not productive and effective time. So that was the first big finding. The second finding was that they were able to improve their email and technology tools within those software packages by 51%. They could plan and organize uh, more effectively by 54%. They had more of a harmonious lifestyle. Their balance between work and life was better by 40%. Their teamwork was up 40%. Stress reduction was down by 43%. In other words, they could reduce their stress levels 43%. Their meeting management skills improved. And here's one that's really important. Delegation improved by 35%. So lots of great findings in that report that, you know, from large companies, small companies, I mean, we're talking about People like Frito-Lay, we're talking about Michelin, Pfizer, Salesforce.com, Microsoft. We do a lot of work with them, Verizon, Boeing, as well as medium-sized companies and entrepreneurial companies. So it's all across the gamut. What misperception do you see companies making today about getting their employees more productive? I think the biggest misconception that I see is that they just seem to think they can pile more work 
on to the individual without significant repercussions. Let me try to give you an example of what I'm trying to explain. I have a very close friend that works in an organization here in North Alabama. You know, things were pretty fast-paced, but all of a sudden the schedule got picked up. They couldn't hire any more people. So everyone was tasked with doing about three times more than they were doing. So they come in earlier in the morning. They leave later in the afternoon. They don't have any more resources to work with. And on top of all of that, Jim, they put in Outlook 2013. you have any idea what kind of chaos that started? (laughs) (laughs) And no one went in and said, you know, well, first of all, they didn't tell them how to use Outlook 2010 or 2007 effectively. Now they dropped in 2013, which is completely different in the way it looks from 2010 and the way it works. And yet they've got all this more work to do. they got this new toolbox coming in, and nobody's taking just, you know, a few hours to help them improve their behavior, help them with the process, and show them how to make the tool work proactively and not reactive. So, Ted, if the software creates reactivity and companies create the reactivity, and probably as human beings we're probably better built to be reactive than proactive anyway, just instinctively, I would imagine. Right. How does a person throw that switch and become more proactive? That all has to do with leadership. The stronger the leader is in wanting this to work within an organization, the easier the change becomes for the individuals. If the people at the leadership level kind of ballyhoo this or say this is too much, you know, we can't make this work, then the people won't change their behaviors and they'll kind of remain the same. But when you get an organization with strong leadership that has high emotional intelligence, because this is very important to have with this type of program, you need to be self-aware, you need to regulate your emotions, you need to have empathetic so that when you do delegate and you follow up, you do it properly. The social networks have to be strong. You have to know how all of that works. If you don't have strong emotional intelligence at the leadership level, it becomes much more complex to put into place. Ted, we've been talking a lot about how companies can help make their employees more productive. And at the same time, as an individual, what can I start doing tomorrow to be more productive? The one thing and the easiest thing is if your email alarm is on or your appointment alarms are on inside your software package, turn that off. That's the easiest and quickest way to get some relief. Now you're not stopping and stopping your production line every time one of those buzzers go off. That's the easiest Why do people not get the fact that stopping and starting, reacting to, let's go back to the email alarms and stuff, or Mm -hmm. checking their email every 5, 10, 15 minutes is the biggest waste of time? People think they can multitask, and we can go into all of that, all the studies that disprove that, and they get caught up in the efficient side of work, not the effective side of work. And most people haven't been explained that analogy that, you know, just because you're busy doesn't mean that you're getting the results. I have a funny story I'll never forget. Part of what we also teach is how to clear the clutter, electronic clutter and physical clutter. And so one time this person went in, and their desk was just total chaos, Jim. I mean, there was plants that needed water, and I mean, there's no telling what we found on that desk. So all of a sudden, after we worked with this individual, they had a clear desk. There was no more clutter. All they had was this nice, you know, because your desktop is your production facility. 
And so this desktop was clean, just like a race car. If you've ever been to NASCAR and you've been in their garages, they're spotless, you know, before the race. Everything's organized. So the boss comes walking by and wants to know why they didn't have anything to do, because the desk didn't have anything on it. So... So the point is, the boss thought that if there was a lot of crap on the desk, the person was actually getting something done. And so then, (laughs) I know, it's kind of, it's crazy. But, you know, we had to go back to the boss and explain, no, this person's going to be more productive, which they were by having the clear desk. So, you know, those types of things are just perpetuated for years upon years of, you know, myths that have been out there about how the workplace should work. So what's your one tip on physically cleaning up my production space? Oh, this is a good one. We were on a morning TV show a couple of years ago, and they asked me the same question, so I I gave them the answer, so I'll kind of explain what we did. One of the people on the TV commentary had a real messy desk, so I went out and got me some goggles, and I got my leaf blower, and, of course, with this person's okay, we just turned the leaf blower on and blew everything off the desk, and boom, we had a clear desk. And of course, <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> oh, yeah, it worked. It was really hilarious. I mean, we actually did the thing, and it was on TV and the blower and everything. But the point I'm making is, you know, if it's important, I said, they'll call you, you know. And, of course, that's being facetious. But here's what you do do. You start with that premise. The first thing i got to do is get everything off the desk. You go out to one of these staples, Office Depot, whoever's left after they buy each other, and you buy those boxes that store files, and you take everything and you put it in a nice, neat stack. You take the stacks, you put it into the boxes, you put the boxes next to your desk as close as possible, and then you schedule time to process the paperwork. And there's some questions you ask. You grab a piece of paper. What is this piece of paper? When do I need to do it? And where do I store it? Now, when do I need to do it as part of using your toolbox? Because now you have to date activate this piece of paper as a task or an activity. And you must prioritize that task or activity into the future, store it where you can find it, and you can go into Outlook or Notes and even put where you stored it. You can draw a blueprint of your office and say it's in file drawer one under A or whatever. So that's kind of the simple, quick, easy way to get that explained. What is it? When do I need to do it? And where do I store it? Link that right back to your tasks or activities right inside your software program. Which gets back to your goals, objectives, and key results. Right, because, see, that's a goal, to clear the clutter in my desk that should be scheduled on your calendar. That's being proactive. You know, there's this matrix that's been out there for years and years, even before Stephen Covey brought it into his book, and it talks about important and urgent and high value. What we just described, clearing the clutter, was that matrix to work. It's important, it's high value, but it's not urgent. We're spending too much time in the important, high value, and urgent side of the matrix number one, and that needs to change. And that's a behavior change that only occurs by going through this type of process. And here's something that I left out that we need to also address. We don't just leave people in the wilderness to figure out how to make this work. All of our programs are tied to ongoing and continuous coaching after the process, so there's accountability always tied in. That's different than keystroke training. You go to that keystroke training class, you get some infotainment, you get a little bit of class and a lot of fun, but then they leave you in the wilderness to figure out how to make it work in the workplace. We don't do that with our process. Yeah, I think that's a big difference because you're talking about a fundamental shift here in how you're working. Absolutely.
Absolutely. And the other thing that I've discovered, too, you were asking me earlier a little bit about what really makes it work well in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Here's what typically used to happen until I really just got really tough with my prospects and clients and wouldn't let them do it anymore. They would say to me, okay, i got a team of six people over here, and, oh, Billy Bob, man, he is so disorganized. And Sally Sue, they're, she's terrible. So I'm going to take those two people out of my team, and I'm going to send them to your class. And that's not going to work, Jim, because they're going to become islands of productivity while the other four people in the team are raining on their parade. So now I look at the boss and say, give me all six or don't give me any. Thanks for joining in on the conversation. Our guest is Ted Goulas from the Goulas Group, and we're talking about increasing productivity in the workplace. Well, I don't know about productivity, but we can increase your effectiveness if you are a hiring manager, if you're leading people, and you're responsible for recruiting people, I would suggest you go out to our website, biztalkradioshow.com. Under our resources, you will find a blog called Hire the Best. And in that blog, we give advice on what it takes to hire top salespeople today. So if you're looking for insight on that, go out to biztalkradioshow.com. That has a link to the Performance Group website, which is pmgllc.net, and log on to Hire the Best under free resources. So, Ted, you're with the company president today. As it relates to our topic, the one piece of advice you're giving them is what? In today's world, you've got this issue called capacity management. And there was a book written by Daniel Levington just recently called The Organized Mind. And he brings it back down to things like glucose. And, you know, when people are making decisions, small decisions or large decisions, they're spending this thing called glucose, and it causes what he says is decision fatigue. Your teams out there right now have decision fatigue. There's so much to do, so many decisions to make. So when you're deciding your work, you've got to be able to prioritize it based on the proper things you want to get accomplished. Right now, because of the way these software systems are set up, there is no prioritization because when I work with companies, they don't even know how to prioritize a task list within Outlook or IBM Notes. So you don't even know what the most important thing is that you need to get done the day before. So most of the people in your team are waking up to an alarm clock, not a purpose. Ted, with your program, Priority Management, what's the one thing that participants are really learning? You're learning how to prioritize. That's so critically important. With these programs, remember we talked about them being reactive and not proactive. Well, if you just put a task list in your software and none of it is prioritized, well, that, that's just, you know, what do I decide to do? i got ten things on my list. How do I decide, you know? And I'll give you an example of that. I see it all the time. You come in in the morning. You've got your task list made up. It's not prioritized, and things break loose. You're getting pushed and pulled in four or five different directions. It's finally 3.30 to 4 o'clock. You get off at 5 o'clock. You look at your task list. Now, what are you going to end up doing? Most people will defer to the quick and the easy on that task list as opposed to the most important high value. Our philosophy is you can get the most important high value task or activity done each and every day. Everything else just becomes a bonus. The reverse. So now you're working on the 20% that gets you the 80% of the results that you need as opposed to the 80% that only gives you the 20% of the results. Absolutely. You know, I always start out today say, what's the one thing i got to get done today? 
Yeah. Today, to me, is before midnight. If I get the one thing done, it's a good day. It's a good day. Yeah. Because one thing's the top priority, but obviously I get more than one thing done. But if I get the one thing done. If you get the one thing done, you're a winner. Everything else is a bonus. Yeah, you got it. Okay, so, Ted, is there a question I should ask you today that I haven't? Well, I guess the only question is the productivity formula that we use is based on having the right task, the right process, and the right tool. And when I talk about tools, I like to give an analogy that might help people out there. I like to use the analogy of going into a car mechanic shop, and they've got a real big red toolbox. You know what I'm talking about, Jim? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, think about your software as the real big red toolbox sitting in the garage, and then it's got four drawers within that toolbox. And each one of those drawers, let's just take Outlook, for example, Uh, one would be a calendar drawer, one would be an inbox drawer, one would be a contacts drawer. And so you've got these drawers that are within that toolbox. You follow? Yeah. And the way you keep that thing working together, your task, your calendar box, your people and digital data, your contacts and your inbox, is you have a system to plan that glues the box together and then learn how to store things in each one of those drawers within that big toolbox. That will change a reactive toolbox to a proactive toolbox. Yeah, good advice. So, Ted, if I want to learn more about your program and priority management, how would I do that? The easiest way, Jim, is at our website. It's gulasgroup.com. All of our contact information is there, and a tremendous amount of articles, surveys, free assessments, things like that nature that you can get involved in. Just go there and have a great time. If you need to get in touch with us, drop us an email. Our information is all there. Ted? Thanks for being on the program. Appreciate it, Jim. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.